This is Laree Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. When it comes to talking about white evangelical racism or white Christian nationalism, I got to be honest with y'all, there are just a handful of people uh, that I really look forward to having these conversations with because, quite frankly, everybody ain't got the range, and that's okay. Uh, but my guest today is not one of those. She is someone who, quite frankly, always has the range, and she always helps us to stay on point and focused uh, when it comes to understanding what's really happening when we are talking about white Christian nationalism uh, and, and evangelical racism. Uh, Anthea Butler is a professor of religious studies and Africana studies at the University of Pennsylvania. She is a sought-after commentator on the BBC, MSNBC, CNN, the History Channel, PBS, all of the places. She regularly writes opinion pieces covering religion, race, politics, and pop culture, and her books are manifold, and the one that has really been sitting heavy on my heart uh, is White Evangelical Racism, The Politics of Morality in America. Dr. Butler, it is such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for joining Joining us this morning. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me, Lori. Absolutely. Listen, uh, so the, CNN put out this report last week about uh, it's called an imposter Christianity is taking over America. And I thought to myself, is it really an imposter Christianity when we're talking about white Christian nationalism? Because it, it, it feels to me, Professor, now I'm no PhD. I'm just a lowly little attorney. But in my Africana studies, I do not recall seeing much difference between uh, the type of Christianity practiced on slave plantations and the type of white evangelical racism we're seeing today. But you're the expert here. Dr. Butler, what would you say about that type of statement, that this is a new burgeoning form of Christianity, an imposter, if you will? No, this ain't no imposter. This is real Christianity. This is real American Christianity. Just like Frederick Douglass said, this is slaveholding Christianity coming forward from the 19th century to the 21st. And that's what I talk about in my book, White Evangelical Racism, where I trace this whole history about how Christianity in this country has been based in racism. And I mm -hmm. think that, you know, when we put these titles like imposter Christianity, it's to absolve other people who are like, well, I'm Christian, but I don't really believe in that. I'm like, you have taken in some of this stuff, whether you like it or not. Mm. And I think this is one of the things that, especially for Black Christians, they really need to contend with about how their beliefs and the ways in which they listen to some of these preachers have made them complicit in participating in white evangelical racism. Oh, so let's go right there, because apparently then that means that black people can be complicit in white evangelical racism. Yes, now, they can. Now I'm, I'm a black church girl, uh, Dr. Butler. I know that you just stepped on a whole lot of metaphorical toes. In fact, that sound I hear is the sound of toes getting stepped on all across the country. Talk with us about the way that black Christians support, whether intentionally or not, but buy into and allow forgiveness, if you will, for white evangelical racism. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about this case that I wrote about a couple of, you know, a year or two ago in uh, Duke Divinity magazine, where I talked about this issue of forgiveness. And I talked about this case in Dallas where an African-American man, I'm going to forget his name, had been killed and the family offered forgiveness. The judge who was a black judge gave the, per the, the perpetrator who was a former policewoman a Bible. And I'm like, you know what? Scripture says 70 times seven. That means 490 times at least you got to forgive somebody. And this is where I think about how black Christians always are quick to forgive the racist crap that happens in this country because they think that that's their right to do. But let me take it deeper. I want to I want to really pull this out here for a minute. 
because I think it's not just forgiveness. It's about how we take on these white practices. So a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, T.D. Jakes was in the news talking about some patriarchal stuff. I'm not going to remember quite what it was, but he was talking about submission and all these things and abortion. And people were really upset. And I thought, you know what? This is the same thing. This is white evangelical Christianity and white evangelical racism. You have taken on these practices of your oppressor and taken on these beliefs. And you'll say it's scripture. But who interpreted the scripture, first of all? White people. Because we couldn't get any scripture to read. We had to do the hermeneutics of suspicion to realize and the things that slaveholders were telling you about slaves be obedient to your masters was in a particular context in the Bible. So what I want people to really understand right now is that you've been sold a bill of goods to bring you into this system that will have you voting for your oppressors and these races 24-7, giving them your money, giving them your time, giving them your tithes and offerings and everything else. And what you are receiving, basically, you are putting back into a system that oppresses you. Mm. And I think that's really important for people to understand. It's not to say that I don't think you shouldn't be a Christian. Be whatever you want to be. But understand that your complicity in this system where you have people who are dragging you to vote for Republicans and other kind of candidates make it really bad. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking about, you know, the kinds of ways in which people are talking to their parishioners like Kim Burrell, others, right? You know, I'm going to go there this morning because see that kind of Christianity, that's that's oppressive, uh, persecuting Christianity. And Mm. I think we need to understand that Christians can oppress just like everybody else. Mm. You said a lot there. You named some names. We talked about the Kim Burrell situation on Friday and and I was just struck by how mean it was. I mean, it was just Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it was like, Oh, so this is why you stay messy. Uh, Because the love of God. There ain't no fruit of the spirit there. There ain't nothing but dust. She, I I just want to say this out loud. Anybody who speaks like that. I mean, I don't know how her spirit is not convicted whenever you speak this way, but see that harshness, has permeated American Christianity. Kim Burrell is just a one figure in many of Christians right now in this country who think it's okay to hate the other because they feel like they are blessed and others are not. And that sort of hierarchy of blessing that says, I am saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost and tongue talking, right? Depending on your denomination, all of these things can, can sort of elevate you um, in a way that give you greater status within this, uh, this, yes. con- this, this construct. But when we're talking about how our Christianity is then politicized, we pay, played a clip of Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, identifying as a, white, as a Christian nationalist. She didn't say the white part. That yes. was sort of assumed. Uh, Christian nationalist, uh, she said, and that's what the Republican Party should be. We should be Christian. Christian national and a very sing-songy voice and just making it sound all wonderful and lovely. We're Christians. Isn't that right? That's a good thing, right? Very Mickey Mouse. Uh, and and it, that is intentional. And, and so this idea that there is not just this religious system um, that says it's okay to be judgmental, it's okay to do all of these things if it's blessed by the name of, you know, white Jesus, but then they're now politicizing it in ways that is having dramatic impact on domestic policy, uh, which will only be followed by the impact on international <laughs> policy. When we think about the ways that Christian nationalism is now used to justify the end of reproductive justice. It's used to uh, justify the removal of rights from our LGBT 
LGBTQ family members. It's used to justify patriarchy. It's used to justify racism. Don't worry, little blacks. You'll have an opportunity for freedom when you're in heaven, when you're washed whiter than snow and no longer bear the burden of the stain of your blackness. Talk to us about the danger of the politicization of this Christian nationalism and what it is really ultimately being used for because you said something important. It's not just the religious beliefs. It's how they are dragging black people also to the polls based on these politicized perspectives. Yeah, I I think it's important to say not politicizing as though it's a process. It has already happened, okay? Mm. And this has been happening for a long time. One of the things I talk about in my book is how in the 20th century, people like Billy Graham and others participated in this whole process about how we get here, right? And there are other Black participants too. I mean, we got to put the blame where it lies. It's not just white people. But there's a process that has happened in this country that has pushed people forward into this kind of thinking that being a Christian is also synonymous with being an American. Okay. Mm, And so this is a really important thing. An American counts as white for these people. Okay. So whether you're black or you're Latino or Asian, if you subscribe to these beliefs, you get to have whiteness. I talk about it as the promise of whiteness in my book. Mm. In other words, if you just believe like this, you're going to become white like us. And, And that might not be what people think, but they believe that they can get all of the things that all these people are getting. But reality is, is that you're being pulled into a political maelstrom. All of these things that you think that are about people being good Christians, whether they want pro-life or they say that they don't want same-sex marriage because the Bible says that, or we don't want children to learn certain things in school because it's not scripturally possible or CRT is not in the Bible. All of these things are politicized. They don't have nothing to do with scripture. Okay, Mm -hmm. so that's number one. Number two, and I think this is really important, you have been fooled. You have been bamboozled. You've been hoodwinked because you think that all these moral issues are about the morality of people in these movements like evangelicalism. But that's not the case. This is how you end up voting for Donald Trump. Because morality, as I say in the book, is a shield. And when you use morality to hide the power that you're trying to get, all right, now, so you got to come with me. Then you understand that these people talk about this stuff to drag you behind to the polls, to make you vote against your own kind of the things that you need for your family, food, climate change, good education and everything else. These people are about destroying the system because they hate government. So while you're trying to get your kid in a good school and you don't have enough money for private school or vouchers or anything else, they're protecting their kids by putting them in a private school that's profoundly segregated so they don't have to be with your kid, your little kid. They hoping your kid going to get shot on the streets because all they do is curse your cities. And then they say, well, you're just not good enough because you heathens. And so this is the whole kind of thing that just is a maelstrom of mess that keeps us trapped to these words that evangelicals and others in the Republican Party have used. They are married to each other. The Republican Party is a theocratic party. And if you understand that, you understand where this country is going and why we need to fight and stop this come the fall. Because if if the Democrats fall in November, folks, I'm telling you, it's only going to get worse. The Supreme Court is already showing you where they're going. They, they, they show you everything. I don't understand why people don't understand that they are letting you know everything. 
they're very clear and they're, they're un speaking in no uncertain terms and it's so clearly right. that when that draft opinion came out and people were shocked and people who had been predicting this very thing was going to happen were like i don't i do not understand where the shock is coming from I, i'm confused yeah. as to why you were shocked uh but you were alarmed enough that you put out a twitter thread uh that caught my attention and caught the attention of, of many other people and you talked about the fact that uh, this has been a, the, the culmination of a plan uh this has been something they've been working on for a long time and you said at one point quote marching and going home to stew won't cut it people who are in anti-abortion states and states considering it need to organize sustained protests and political action the theocrats are really organized they've been at this for 49 years that is not going to dissolve now and i think you you point rightly to a sense of inertia that white christian nationalists uh, and evangelicals have they didn't just get a win and think oh well uh, 49 years and we, we tried and we were tired we're gonna rest now and yeah. they're going for the gusto because they have seen victory and they're used to waiting a while because they just waited 49 years for this thing so they're they're primed mm -hmm. they're organized they're funded and they they have the inertia and the success of a major win behind them what do you see on the other side that may or may not be effective at mounting a resistance to that well, one of the things I see that's not effective at mountain resistance is the democratic inertia and stupidity. I, I need mm. to just say that up front, okay? Let me just talk about this. How is Biden, he can't even say out of his mouth, the day that this happened, he can't say the word abortion. Mm. Biden is torn. Biden is really probably like a pro-life dude. And he knows he has to say this. He's torn between his Catholicism and everything else. This administration is so horrible on messaging. I cannot tell you how horrible they are. And I hope that people are listening to this and will write your people because you need to quit giving these folks money if they're not going to do what you need them to do. Give money to grassroots organizations and women who are trying to help other women get what they need in terms of childcare, healthcare, abortions, whatever else they need. Okay. So that's first of all. Second, the Democrats have a real problem because they have slept on this and they acted as though when may happen, they didn't know it was coming. Mm -hmm. The Republicans have been organized. Evangelicals have been organized. Pro-life Catholics have been organized since the 1970s and even before about the issues that they wanted to change in society. So whether it's abortion, whether it's same-sex marriage, Oberfell was just a momentary loss back in 2015, okay? Mm -hmm. It was not like mm -hmm. permanent because they knew if they got a court, they would be able to change it. They got the court now. It's five Catholic Supreme Court justices who are sitting up there like the Inquisition. And so now what you have to understand is that it's all bets are off because not only do they have the Supreme Court, Trump appointed over 200 judges. They have people in local, state, and national offices. What have the Democrats been doing? Sitting on their asses. I'm just going to say it just point blank, acting like nothing was going to happen. All of this talk that Biden gives you about, we just need to get along and, oh, I don't understand why Joe Manchin and Senator are doing this, blah, 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 blah. I like them as people. That's bullshit conversation. I, don't, I, I hate to cuss, but I'm just telling you, this is not going to help us. And it's especially not going to help Black people and Black women in particular. Mm. This is really, really bad. And you need to understand the gravity of where we are right now. And it's just not stopping with reproductive justice. As I mentioned, they're going for the gusto. So that means uh, because when Clarence and Jenny, because to me, Jenny is the 10th justice, right? So when GT, no, yes. uh, <laughs> when GT yes, and CT, uh, when they get together and they write Clarence's opinions, because I do believe she helps to write his opinions. Uh, and he says he wants to go for all the privacy rights. 
except for the privacy rights that allow him to be married to a white woman. But he wants to go for everybody's privacy rights. Dr. Butler, if yeah. I, you know, am I, if I am correct in my understanding of history, basically all the rights we as black people enjoy as a part of what we have determined is integrated America, don't those all come from a sense of an understanding of a right to privacy, our right to, to, to be in a, a right to not be in segregated spaces, our right to have equitable access to, to resources, our right to be hired and our right to be able to, to wear our hair the way it grows out of our head all of these at a certain point trace back to the rights to privacy and it feels to me like the supreme court is saying we're coming for all of that too in the name of yeah, jesus and, and when you come for you gotta understand when you come for the right of privacy what you're coming for is to set up a dictatorship slash nationalistic kind of organization that can watch you you're already being watched you're already being tracked because of you know marketing and all these other kinds of things right but what if the government really wants to do this in such a way that they can be punitive against you mm-hmm. if we think back to all sorts of regimes like the you know nazism in germany or we think about you know spain with franco uh, you know mussolini in italy if we're watching the kinds of things that are happening right now in italy and hungary and russia hey Listen, that's where we're going right now. And so it's not just about, you know, black people's rights. It's everybody's damn rights. We got to be fighting for everything. But black people have always been fighting for rights because we ain't never really had them in this country because we were enslaved. Right. right. And so what this is about is not just stripping the rights of African-Americans, but the rights of stripping the civil rights from everyone. Mm. Women don't have mm. rights. We never could get the Equal Rights Amendment passed because of Phyllis Schlafly, another crazy Catholic woman who was actually very conservative in the 70s and 80s who helped to defeat that happening. Wow. So it's not just women's rights. It's black people's rights. It's trans people's rights. It's gay people's rights. It's everybody who is determined to be different and other than a white Protestant male. Mm. Understand where you are. Everybody else is underneath that hierarchy. And you, you, depending on where you fall, you might be lower down the rung than everybody else. So this turn that we see that's happening in the Supreme Court with four white men and one white woman who's just going to do whatever they want her to do anyway, right? Amy Coney Barrett. Yep. Then we have a big problem. And I think that the gravity of this really needs to be addressed, first of all. And secondarily, we got to have people who are just not half-stepping, but are willing to hold step in terms of being political action and political actors and the people who are running for government. You need to see people who are actually speaking the truth, trying to fight stuff instead of taking money from lobbyists and self-interest that are going to make them change and do things that are not what you need them to do for you and your family and your community. Mm. Now, at risk of spoilers, because I have not seen the most recent episode yeah. of P-Valley, one of my absolute favorite shows. Uh, I did not see the, the weekend's episode, so there are probably going to be spoilers here that I regret. But you mentioned, uh, Dr. Butler, before we came on, that there was a connection here that P-Valley seemed to highlight. And I, w- I love P-Valley so much. I'm like, you know, what? even if you spoil it, I'm still going to watch it. Uh, what was the connection that you saw between that element of pop culture and what we see happening politically today? Well, what was so interesting about this, this particular thing of P-Valley was this uh, storyline about Mercedes and her daughter. And mm. so our daughter, as you saw the last thing, ended up at the door crying, showing her pregnancy thing. And so, of course, what is the next thing you need to talk about? 
What are you going to do? Are you keeping the baby or not? I will not give this the, the end of the story up. But part of what they show is that they go to the clinic in Jackson, which is now closed, mm. which was the set where the place where all of this stuff came out of Mississippi that provided the foundation for the Supreme Court case to overturn Roe and send it back to the states. OK, mm. so mm. you have to understand that there's a huge hunk of history. And if you go online and look at the P-Valley writers thread, they talk about what they did and how they did it in a great documentary that's about the Jackson abortion clinic. But they go to the Jackson abortion clinic. And when they get there, there are about 50 white people yelling and screaming with signs on their head talking about don't kill your baby, Black Lives Matter, everything else, because they are protesting against the clinic. Now, this clinic didn't just do abortions. It does health care and everything else. And so it's this moment in the story that I help. I think it helps people to understand what's actually happening at abortion clinics and why this has been a huge campaign. I mean, People forget abortion clinics were bombed. Doctors were killed. All these kinds of things have happened in the last 40, 50 years. And where they're going to say that the pro-life movement was peaceful, it was anything but. So when women are getting harassed and have to have clinic escorts to take them into a clinic, even if they're just going for a pap smear and a wellness exam, let alone an abortion, right? Mm -hmm. This is a mess. So this piece of P-Valley last night I thought was a really good thing to help people understand the kind of tension that goes into what happens when a woman has to make, a, or a child even, because this this daughter is not very old, she's right. 14, right. you know, have to make this kind of choice about their lives and why you might make that choice. So I think it's a really important moment in P-Valley. I think the kinds of issues that they've been dealing with are issues that we're all, that the African-American community and everybody is dealing with right now, quite frankly. But I think it was a really good, timely piece to just show this is not even going to happen now because that clinic is closed. It is closed. It is never going to open again. They sold it. The clinic will not reopen. And it can't reopen in Mississippi because of state laws. We only have a, a few minutes left, too, according to my producer. But so, of course, the most important question comes in the last two minutes. What do we do about this, Dr. Butler? How do we, those of us who still have ties to the church and those of us who barely escape with our salvation, the real one, uh, out of the church, what do we do about this? Well, I think one of the things is the black church has always been an effective political tool. What I what bothers me right now is that the black church only gets motivated for voting and they don't get motivated for regular sustained activism. So in other words, what I'm saying is it can't just be souls to the damn polls come September to November. You need to be working on this 12 months in a year because these white churches have been working on it 12 months to a year. If I could think about the the biggest flaw of the Black church has been that we have not been as politically active and and forceful on the Democratic Party as as evangelicals have been to the Republican Party. The Republican Party has responded. The Democratic Party just thinks that they come and pick up the Black church and come and give a couple of nice speeches and show up and wear the right clothes and everything's going to be okay. And some money gets passed to the preacher and all y'all Negroes get in the van and go vote and stand in line for 12 hours. These people are not working for you. You Mm -hmm. need to make them work for you. And I, this is why I'm saying that, you know, it needs to be pastors, you know, like Otis Moss and, and others who are really Freddie Haynes, who are doing this kind of work across the country to not just get people out to the polls, but are doing the kind of work in the communities that are thinking about how we need to be active. And we need to be just as active as those white evangelicals are, because they have taken this country captive. You're going to let them finish doing it if you don't get on your job. Mm. 
How good is your Jesus if your Jesus is not a threat to white Christian nationalism? That, that's the that's question right. I'm left with. How sanctified and holily, uh, holily, <laughs> and how anointed are you if yeah. you cannot grapple with the demon of white supremacy, whether it be in your own church, your community, or your political establishment? Dr. Butler, you're amazing. How do people follow you and connect with you and get that amazing book, which is, oh, yeah. it's, it was you prophetic. Yeah, you can find my book, White Evangelical Racism, on Amazon.com, Bookshop. You can go to the Uni University of North Carolina Press website right now. They got 40% off of my book, so that's going to hey. make it really good. It ain't even going to be $20. So go to the UNC website. You can find me on Twitter at Anthea Butler, all one, all one thing. You can find me online at AntheaButler.com. And um, yeah, you can follow me actually also on MSNBC because I'm an opinion writer for them, and I write occasionally for MSNBC. And frankly, if you had a church, you'd be my pastor. Dr. Anthea Butler, oh, thank, thank you, you so much for being with us today. You're it's welcome. been a real pleasure having you here. Get her book, y'all. It, it, it explains all of this in ways a half an hour interview simply cannot. Thank you for being here, Dr. Butler. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank, thank you. you.